Welcome back to the Daily Devotion. My name is Kevin. I'm the pastor of Christ Church Conway, a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America here in Conway, Arkansas. The Daily Devotion is a time for us to be strengthened in our faith through the study of Scripture and theology. It's Sermon Sunday, so today's post is the sermon from this morning's worship service at Christ Church Conway on Mark chapter 4, verses 24 and 25. If you have a Bible, turn with me now to Mark chapter 4. We're going to look this morning at Mark chapter 4. We were supposed to look last week at verses 21 through 25, uh, but we only made it through verse 23. So I'm going to read all of those verses again, but we're just really going to be looking this morning at Mark chapter 4, verses 24 and 25. But all of these verses work together, so I'll read them all together this morning. And Jesus said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Father, we ask that you would add your blessing to this reading of your word, for we know that we cannot hear unless your spirit gives us ears to hear. So strengthen us this morning by your spirit that I may speak in his power and that we all may hear, having been made able to hear your word by him. We ask this in Christ's most precious name. Amen. Well, these verses, 24 and 25, have some things in them that, that on the face of it aren't particularly comfortable. That they really don't even sound particularly gospel-y. It, it, with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. The ones who hear, more will be added, but the ones who don't even what they have will be taken away. This sounds like a threat. And in some ways it kind of is. But what we see here is that this really is what God has been doing all through the story, from from Genesis all the way down through Revelation. We see that this is what's at work. He begins this section with this command, pay attention to what you hear. So we're going to start there, and and here's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at the history of hearing in the Bible. I'm just going to give a few points of of kind of how this has been the way the kingdom works from the very beginning. We're going to look at at who we must hear, at the message we must hear, the effect of hearing and not hearing, and then how we hear. So this was supposed to be the second part of last week's sermon, and, and now I'm wondering if this won't be a whole series in itself We'll see where we go. First of all, the history of hearing. We have this command, pay attention to what you hear. And this is not something new. If we go all the way back to Genesis, what we see is that what Adam and Eve were supposed to do is listen to God's word. But they didn't. It specifically says in Genesis 3, that they heard the sound of the Lord and they, and they hid themselves. And when God starts asking them questions, why did you do this? He tells them. 
And then in, in 3.17, we're told, speaking to Adam, because you have listened to the voice of your wife. Shema is the, is the Hebrew word that's being used in, in all of these. Because you've heard her. And the point here is because you heard her instead of me. That's why this has happened. Because you listened to her words instead of my words. See, the the reason we're in the situation we're in is because Adam didn't pay attention to what he heard. He didn't listen. Instead of listening to God, he listened to Eve. Hearing becomes important in the Tower of Babel. God confuses their language so that they can't hear one another, so that they can't listen to each other. Because they had started listening to each other saying, let's build a tower to God, let's make a name for ourselves instead of listening to God. So he confused their language so that they couldn't hear. In Exodus chapter 4, we read Moses' concern is that the people won't hear him, that they won't listen to him, that they won't pay attention to him. So God gives him signs so that they might hear, and then in 431, the people do listen. And they believe. And they're delivered. But Pharaoh's response to all of this is, who is this Lord that I should obey? The word obey there is the word hear. Who is this Lord that I should hear his voice and let Israel go? And that's, that's really how this whole story of Pharaoh and Israel is framed. Will, will Pharaoh hear God? Will he listen to him? Will he obey him? Where you see that word obey, I'm not going to obey him and let you go. It's always the word hear. All through that story. That, that, that Pharaoh hearing and not hearing is really what frames that whole story. When we get to Exodus 16, God tells them, you know, gather up manna this many days. On the sixth day, gather up a double portion. I'll provide all you need. It won't go bad. Every other day, it's going to spoil. You know, he gives kind of the rules. Gather what you need for the day. Don't save it. I promise you, I'm going to give you more tomorrow. What do they do? They did not listen to Moses. So they kept the manna and it bred worms and it stank. They didn't hear God's word. And it didn't work out for them. Exodus 19. At the beginning, like right before the Ten Commandments are given, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, if you'll hear the word that I give you about who you are and who I am, it's going to work out for you. And then we come to the Ten Commandments and what does he tell them? I am the Lord your God. That's where it all starts. Even the law is set up with this indicative imperative principle. I'm the Lord your God. That's established. Our relationship is established. Hear what I'm saying. But of course they don't. Then there's this kind of key verse in Israel's life. Still, if you go into a synagogue, it's it's written on the back wall. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Shema Yisrael. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's the message that they were to hear. That they had a God. That he was their God and that they were his people. They were to hear that over and over and over. But they didn't. 
That was the problem. Again and again. They kept not hearing. They didn't listen to their judges. They were told in Joshua that they spent 40 years in the wilderness because they didn't hear. We looked at Isaiah 6 where his message was keep on hearing but don't understand. Keep on seeking but do not perceive. And then we get to the Gospels and over and over and over. If I remember, it was like 30 times in the Gospels. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let him hear. Romans 10, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Hebrews 2 that we just looked at, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. In chapter 4, good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. See, this this is how the whole story has always been told, that it hinges on us hearing it, on us paying attention to the Word of God, to what He has proclaimed to us. It's never been about go and, and be good. It's been about Hear God. Listen to what I'm telling you. Listen to the promises I'm making. Listen to who I'm saying I am going to be for you. Trust me. See, that's what all of the commandments in the Old Testament flow out of. They were to hear that they had a God. That his steadfast love endures forever that he would circumcise their hearts, that he would give them all the promises that he had made to Abraham, that he would establish them in the land forever, that, that he would defeat the giants, that he would do it. They were to hear that and trust him. But repeatedly, they listened to other things and they listened to other people and they didn't hear God's word. The next question we ask then is, well, who must we hear? And again, if we look at this from a biblical theological perspective, it becomes very clear. We go back to Deuteronomy 18.15 and we read this, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Moses told them all the way back in Deuteronomy, there's somebody else coming, and man, you really need to listen to him. You need to hear what he has to say. You need to pay attention to him. Well, who was that? Was it Joshua? Was it Samuel? Was, was it David, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, the minor? Who, who was it? Well, the way prophecy works, the answer to all of those is yes. Remember, prophecy is like a stone skipping across the water. And then when it sinks, that's, that's when the, the real fulfillment comes. And, and that stone sank. The one we're to listen to is Jesus. He's the one that's the prophet like Moses that we're to hear. John in chapter 1 says, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. We see a similar thing in Acts 3.17 when Peter is preaching and, and, and he's there and, and all the, the Jews are there listening and he tells them, 
Jesus is the one. This one y'all killed, by the way, and he goes back to Deuteronomy 18. This is the one Moses was talking about that y'all were supposed to listen to, and you killed him. But you should have heard him. You should have paid attention to what he was saying. You should have listened. We go to the transfiguration. And it's this beautiful scene recorded in Matthew 17 and Mark and Luke chapter 9 and each of them. And, and Elijah's there. And, you know, I mean, it's just a phenomenal scene, right? All these dead people are there and, and, and lights and it's bright. And Peter's like, we need to, you know, stay here for a minute because this is amazing. And then the voice of God comes and says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Jesus is the one that we're to hear. He's the one that we're to listen to. He's the one who's speaking in his word. And so what is it that we're to hear from him? We go back to the beginning of Mark. The message we must hear. Mark chapter 1 verses 14 through 15 we read this. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. That's what we need to hear over and over. The time is fulfilled. What we, we've made it to the end and, and the kingdom has come. All these promises, all, all the, the promises of the kingdom, the promises that were given to David, the promises that came from Moses, Isaiah, Jeremiah, the promises made to Abraham about, about making you a kingdom, making your name great, being a blessing to all the nations. It's here. The kingdom of God is at hand. So repent and believe. God has been faithful. He's done what he said he's going to do. So listen to me. Turn from your sin. Turn from your flesh. Turn to me and believe the gospel. That's what we need to be reminded of day after day after day. And what we need to to remember as we hear this is is that believing the gospel goes far beyond assenting to, to a few truths about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Yes, it includes that absolutely, 100%. If we exclude that, we we've lost it all. But believing the gospel, that this is the good news that the kingdom of God has come with Christ. Believing that is recognizing that the story of God establishing his kingdom through his Christ, according to his covenant promises, that that is the controlling narrative in our lives. It's believing the word of God as the controlling narrative, to be the controlling narrative in our lives. That's what it is to believe the gospel. Yes, it includes assent to the facts of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But in assenting to those truths, in looking to those, in believing that that is true, what we are doing is we're saying, this is now what frames my entire life. This is what makes sense 
of everything. That's what a controlling narrative does. It explains everything. It frames all that you're looking at and trying to understand. It puts it all in perspective and shows how all the different pieces relate together into one whole. And that's what the gospel is for us. That's what the good news of the kingdom of God is for us. See, when we, when we let the word of God speak in that way, it explains the brokenness that we face every day. Because it explains sin and it explains the fall and it explains our selfishness and it explains sickness and it explains all the moves for power. It explains exactly why things are the way they are. But it doesn't stop there. It adds to that explanation, but one came to fix it all. One came to make it all right. And he lived and he died and he rose again for the salvation of his people. And you who are in him by faith, and it keeps telling us more about ourselves. You who are in him by faith, you are heirs with him of God most high. You who are in him by faith, you are the children of God. You who are in him by faith, you stand justified before the God of all creation. You who are in him by faith, you're dead to sin and alive to God. You who are in him by faith, you have been filled with the spirit that you might not sin anymore. You who are in him by faith will never be separated from him. You can't be snatched from his hand. Not height or depth or principality or power. Nothing will separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. See, it explains to us who we are. It explains to us what we are. It explains to us who God is. It explains to us how the world is. It's the controlling narrative. That's what it is to believe the gospel, to say this is the thing that makes sense of everything else. This is the story that puts everything in perspective for me. And it is. And so what then is the effect of hearing? Jesus puts it this way in verses 24 and 25. Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. In in brief, this is what that says. The more we hear, the more we believe. The less we hear, the less we believe. More precisely, the more we pay attention to what we hear, the more we pay attention to the gospel, the more we pay attention to the word of God, the more we pay attention to what we hear, the more we believe, the more it explains things, the more it makes sense of life. The less we do that, the less that happens. And in fact, it's taken away. If we put this back in the, in the context of, of when all this was being said, the Pharisees were refusing to pay attention to what they were hearing from Jesus. And so, so these people who thought they were the ultimate insiders from a religious standpoint, who, who thought they were the ones that, oh, if anybody's in, I'm in. 
by refusing to listen to Jesus, they were actually making themselves outsiders. What they thought they had, they lost. They thought they had the kingdom. They thought for sure, if somebody's in, it's me. Because I've done the things. I've, I've followed the rules. I've been a good boy. But the reality is, by refusing to pay attention to what Jesus was saying, they were losing exactly what they were so darn sure they had. It was slipping right out of their hands. And there was nothing they could do about it. How they pay attention affected how they read the Bible as well. If they measure the scriptures without Jesus, here's that measure part. With the measure you use in the Greek, it's funny because it's with the measure you measure, it will be measured to you. It's just like the same word in like all these different forms just repeated right in a row to make the point as emphatically as possible. However, you're dealing with it, that's how you'll be dealt with. That's the point. When we see a same statement with the judgment you judge, it will be judged to you. Same idea. And so here's what that's getting at. If they measure Scripture to themselves and to other people without Jesus, then Scripture will be measured to them without Jesus. That's not just a clever turn of phrase. That is absolutely terrifying. For Scripture to be measured to us without Jesus only ends in our destruction. Because he is presented repeatedly as the only hope that we have. God holds up his law as this mirror before us. And, it, and it's like, it's worse than, the, than the, the fun house mirrors that make us look bad because it's actually accurate. And we look worse than in the fun house mirrors because it shows all the flaws and, and says, here's all the problems. And if we try to take on that word without Jesus, it's only going to lay us bare. But with the measure you measure, it will be measured to you. If we come to the word of God, if we come even to the law in Christ, it's a different thing altogether. Because instead of the law being what is held up, it's the blood of Christ. It's the slain lamb. It's the cross of Jesus Christ where he died. It's the empty tomb that is presented. It's us standing there washed clean by his blood. See, the Jewish people, the Pharisees, were trying to measure the scriptures without Jesus. And they would get the scriptures, but they would get them without Jesus. And it would be the most tragic thing ever. And so all of this is true for us as well. Mark Edwards comments, the degree to which one hears the parables, the extent to which one allows the kingdom to break up on oneself will, will determine the measure of one's understanding. The more we pay attention to what we hear, the more the gospel becomes the controlling narrative of our life. The more we will understand the gospel, the more we hear, the more we will believe. 
See, this is why people that have walked with Jesus for a long time, clinging to the gospel, this is why they see things differently than us. Because they, they, they've learned to trust God in all these situations. The gospel has become more thoroughly the controlling narrative of their life, the lens through which they see absolutely everything. And so they face life in the light of the gospel. That's the point Jesus is here making. And so this this raises some big questions for us, doesn't it? It it raises these questions. It it causes us to, to think, well, what is the controlling narrative in my life? Here's how we can figure that out. The controlling narrative of our life is is the narrative or, or the thought that frames how we understand and view everything else. It's that, it's that that idea in our life that can't be compromised without us following uh, falling into some kind of crisis. That's what controls us. The story, the thought, the idea, the principle, the, the ideology, whatever it is that, that can't be compromised without us falling into crisis. That's the controlling narrative of our life. And here's the harsh reality. There are a host of competing stories, of competing ideas that we very quickly buy into and very quickly start to serve. And so we've had a lot of those revealed this year, haven't we? Where all of a sudden, when, when things have been turned upside down and, and all of a sudden, thing, you know, we, life was going along so good and it was comfortable and, and everything was great. And then 2020 came along. Huh, it's a cake in the pants. And we were just like, oh, my word. Why am I responding to people this way? Why am I responding to this situation this way? Why am I responding to life the way I am? Where's this anger coming from? Where's this despair? What is going on? Here's what I want to offer. What was happening was the controlling narrative of our lives were being compromised. And we were being left in crisis. Because we didn't know what to do. We didn't know what to do when things went like this. And it became for some of us a very convicting year. Because all of a sudden we were going, man, I really thought Jesus was my everything. But when this got taken away, it did something in me that was deep. I don't know what's going on. So I want to offer, I started thinking through what what are some of these competing narratives that we fall into. I kept making a list and it just kept growing. I was like, "I'll, I'll come up with two or three. In this layer of my outline, I was on letters and I made it to S. And just stopped. America, politics, success, happiness, our conscience, 
our freedom, our rights, our health, our reputation, our money, our relationship, our security in this world, our comfort, our morality, our family, our recreation and fun, our self, our, our autonomy, our I get to say what I get to do, nobody gets to tell me, our, our knowledge, our education, justice, identity. Oh. We could spend a long time talking about every one of those and how they become this controlling narrative in our life. And when they got threatened, we freaked straight out on everybody around us. The reason we did that is because we let these things have more authority, more control in our lives than what they should. And so when they were compromised, we didn't know what to do. And here's the the real hard part about life in the South, about life in the Bible Belt, is we are amazing. I mean, like expert level amazing. With all of these things that I just listed, at baptizing them with just enough Christian theology that we convince people that, no, we're just being good Christians. We are next level with that. But we're lying to ourselves. That's why it sent us into crisis. That's why we freaked out. That's why we're still freaking out. Because we're letting stories and and thoughts and ideas and and, and ideologies and, and, and things that aren't Jesus, things that aren't the gospel. We're letting that control our life. That's the frame through which we see everything. Here's the reality. All of those are answered in the gospel. All of those, all of those things that that we pine for. In the gospel, God's like, hey, here it is for free. You want it? Here it is for free. At the cost of my son for you. You want true freedom? It's not what you think it is. It's not you just getting to do whatever you want. Nobody tells me what to do. Me and my country. No, 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 no. It's way better than that. It's being freed from that that you might serve me as you were created to do. You you want true security? It's It's not found in this world. It's kept for you in heaven. You want true identity? It's it's not found in anything about yourself. It's found in Christ and the new birth. You want truly to have a kingdom where everything works right? Oh, you're not voting that one in. My king's already on the throne. And it's working just fine. And it's only getting better from here. 
See, all of these things that we let control our life, God, God wants to just give them to us better than the versions we, that we think are so good. That, that, that's why we can look at this world and not be controlled by it, not despair at losing it. And not despair at losing the world's versions of all these things. Because God provides better of all of it in Jesus Christ. So how do we hear? How do, how do we hear this gospel that's to be the controlling narrative of our life, that's, the, that's to be the story that makes sense of everything else? How do we hear that? Well, we've already pointed out numerous times that it's, it's not something that we can hear on our own. We need the Spirit's help if we're going to hear it. Paul writes to the Galatians, Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? We go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. In verses 6 through 16, Paul's talking about wisdom from the Spirit. And then in verses 12 and 13, he says this, Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. We need the Spirit's help if we're going to hear. So what do we do with that? We call out to Him for help and say, God, give your Spirit that I might hear your Word and that I might hear it more and more, that I might pay closer and closer attention to what you're saying, that it might become the controlling narrative in my life that I might put off all of these other things that I hold so tightly and wrap myself up so tightly around. Oh, open my clenched fists from all of that. And fill me with Jesus and the comfort and the rest and the grace and the mercy and the love, and the hope, and the identity, and the freedom, and the joy that comes with Him. With the measure we measure, it will be measured to us. The more we listen to Jesus, 
the more we hear this story and pay attention to it, the more it becomes the controlling narrative of our life and we're able to hear it with, with, with greater clarity and it becomes more controlling and greater clarity. And it's this beautiful like mix of, uh, of this just wonderful growth of, of hearing and it, it deciding and, and it determining and it affecting us and shaping us and, 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 and then we hear it even better. And it just builds on itself. But if we don't pay attention to it, it's gone. And what we thought we had is gone with it. Because the way of faith is hearing. So we use a big measure. Come to God's word and hear it, that more may be added to you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you give your spirit that we might hear your word. We ask that you would help us to hear, that you would strengthen us by your spirit, that that your gospel, your story, what you've done through your son, and how it teaches us to view everything, that it might become the narrative that controls everything in our life. We ask this in Christ's most precious name. Amen.